a story Fill up the pages Sing a little song Keep me around Keep me with you Right by your night sand Keep me around As long as you can Okay. It is going now. Oh, we're, we're good? Clear for takeoff? Yeah. Alright. Are you your... Is your jaw adequately limber? Are you ready to speak? How now, brown cow? Riggedy, riggedy, riggedy. You ready? Let's do this. I, I'm ready enough, but I feel <laughs> less ready after watching your mouth do that. You didn't like that? No. Stop it. Ah, I don't like it. it. It's just my, it's my oral, oral gymnastics. I'm prepping and getting warmed up. Please, no. <laughs> No more. Well, welcome everyone to another fantastic episode of ADD Storytelling. My name is Tuck, and we are joined by Maddie, our neurodivergent diaphanous host. This is a podcast in which we explore the myths and legends of our time, the past, the present, and the future in no particular order, and sometimes with less than perfect focus. What are we going to be talking about today, Maddie? So today we're talking about the, uh, mm. I want to say alternative saint that originated in Mexico area. Okay. Like, so North America? Well, yeah. So the Alternative origin... saint. Yeah. So, okay. So here's actually... Already. So we're talking about La Santa Muerte, and that could translate to either the holy death or Saint Death. Saint Death in the feminine form. However, if you're going from the Catholic route, to be a saint, you have to first be a human that lived. That's right. one thing. You've performed. Um, I'm on the right track. A human that lived. You have to perform three miracles. And what constitutes a miracle? That is, there's lots of things writing about Widely that. up for debate on that one? Yeah, there's lots of, but you need three. And heard... they have to be sanctified and, like, documented in some way. There was one, a saint that I came across in my travels of, of scholarly learning, who one of their miracles was stopping a horse from crying. Wow. Which is an extremely good and powerful miracle. And also one that I feel is kind of, Dubious. How does... Have you ever seen an animal cry? Elephant. Really? It's so sad. Truly? Elephants can cry. Or did it just have sweaty eyes? No, it like literally, it literally, elephants can cry and it's like heartbreaking. It's the worst. That's fucking atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. Okay, well. So, and then, you know, they have to be approved by the Council of Holy People... For the Catholic Church, you know, whatever they're called. Yeah, the Jedi Council. Bunch of people with hats. Um, <laughs> is that, that's the main signifier of uh, council members? Is the hat? Yeah, the higher you go in the church, the bigger your hat is. Oh, They're they a very hat-centric boys club, aren't they? Or like shiny, if your hat's really shiny. Anyway. Yeah. I saw the Pope wearing a very, very small hat. Just... Yeah, well, it's the Pope. Can't wear it all the time. His neck is very frail Yeah, from holding up all those lies. Pope Francis is slightly better, but... I mean, the bar is so very low. It's low. It's <laughs> low. <laughs> Pope Francis does not like La Santa Muerte. Not a former Nazi, so he's doing all right. Yeah. Anywho, the problem with this saint... Yeah, what's the problem with this saint? Is that... Um, what do they got in their closet? La Santa Muerte is what is like a concept... In the sense that they're just death personified as like a, a bony lady, just all bones and usually like... All the bones? Yeah, like bones and then there's like the cloak, usually black or white and, you know... Ever, is it ever checkerboard? No. One or the other. So no Tim Burton vibes there. You can have different colored cloaks and, like, people dress her up and stuff, but her main default cloaks are black and white, and usually black is, like, the go-to. Like it's the starting character. Yeah. It's her base build. 
Do the Catholics um, not like her because she's a woman? Well, women can be saints. They just can't be um, anything else. (laughs) 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 Except for, like, uh, nuns and, like, higher nuns. But there's no, like, Mm -hmm. you can't be a priest. No. You can't be a bishop. Cardinal. You can't be a cardinal. You can't be a pope. Can't be any of that stuff. Well, it would be the feminine version of the pope. It would be the pape. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Oh, but yeah. Like... So the thing is, is that she's the personification of death and therefore not a human and has never been hum- human and never died and never performed miracles as a human. So can't be a saint. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, that that rounds it up nicely. Can't can't do any of those things. So she, So she's more of an ideal or concept. Yes. And kind of similar in style to the Grim Reaper, but like has more stuff. And style? And style. And does Does cool she make things. this look good? <laughs> Is she like the Will Smith of uh, saintly figures? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the thing that's really like, I guess, amazing or at least. Smoking. The thing that draws people to her is that. Bodacious. She's extremely non-judgmental. Huh. So. Well, yeah, d- death doesn't seem to play favorites. That's exactly it. So death doesn't give a shit. No. How mean you were or how nice you were or how rich you were or how poor you were. She's just like, yeah, whatever. And she doesn't judge you for your mistakes. You don't have like a big sin. That, death is the great equalizer. You know, you know, she interacts with humanity without any sort of set agenda or anything that she needs from you you just like are if you treat her with respect and you you know work with her in your intention then you could get some sort of miracle from her and there's no real qualification about your personhood or your morals that you need she's just like yeah whatever but also that's two sides of one coin right so let's say you know for god if you're if you're praying to god and you believe in god which god what are we talking well so this is very close to the catholic thing which i'll explain why later but like in in catholicism there's a god right i've heard this there's like one of them and usually it's there's one of them yeah like a dude or it's usually whatever. a pretty monotheistic faith in general yeah and a big thing about catholicism is that you have guilt yes you have guilt but also you Dirty are born secrets. You're born with an original sin. A large family. Because Eve took an apple off the tree. That bitch. And that was like the knowledge of humanity and wisdom and stuff. And then because we knew things, now we're evil. So then it doesn't matter that, you know, Satan tempted her to do it. Or, you know, if we're being fun, if it was Crowley from... uh, Good Omens. Good Omens, yeah. But if we're being so you have this original sin. I like that Lilith escaped but escaped by that whole trick. Yeah. Just by saying, like, no, fuck you, God. Date this Adam guy. I'm yeah. out. Yeah. Lilith She's is good. the best. Um What was I saying? Oh, so you You're have the original sin, you get baptized, omens. Jesus died to get rid of it, etc. But somehow you still have it. Like, you're still, like, pretty shitty. Yeah, never been clear on that. Anyway, it's, there's kind of, like, this gray area where, like, we're just prone to sinning all the time. So you got to do all this I crap this. to, like, clear it out and whatever. So sometimes when you pray to God and you ask for something, one, you have to be in good moral standing for do him you? to kind of listen to you. I mean, you can pray to be on the right path and be like, help me get to the right path. Or you, when you're asking him for something, you're like, you know, help me out. And then he'll either do something or not and like if you believe or whatever but like the issue is that like it's hardcore theology (laughs) it is not (laughs) the issue is is that god sometimes will be like i'm not going to grant this prayer because it's not actually best for you and i'm god so i know that and it's like a thing god the whole this is God has a plan. Yeah, and it's yeah. a blessing in disguise, etc. Trust the plan that God has laid out for us, because that big stinky boy knows what's best for you, and he will. He is a really petty, judgmental bitch, unlike Santa Muerte. Right. So Santa Muerte, 
No preferential treatment. She doesn't give a shit what your request is about. She's like, if you do it with the right intention and you do it with respect to her, then she's like, all right, I'll give you a miracle. Here you go. So that means... Like Oprah. Yeah, basically. I mean... You're, uh, well, Oprah tends to do good. I, I don't know. I, that that threw me off, actually. I don't know. I have yeah. no idea. It's like, the sure, exuberance, Oprah. The exuberance totally. with, with which you agreed. I like Oprah. Um, Look under your chair. There's more death. Look under your chair. Death. Basically, you can end up with something true or granted that wasn't actually good for you or um, won't lead you on a proper moral path or anything like that. So essentially, whatever the moral nature of your miracle that you're asking for, mm-hmm. she could just grant it anyway if you do the spell right. You could accidentally screw a yourself. Spell over. right or just a prayer? Is this prayer more of or a... spell? Usually, there's sort of a, like a, a ritual that it's goes more along of a with ritual it. element to the worship of Santa Muerte. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is borrowed from Catholicism, and Catholicism has all of these rituals that they do like most religious faiths to like unify people in a sense of movement and word and whatever intention. There's a lot of different things you could do. The big one being having an altar like with her stuff and you can leave offerings and, you know, take care of it and talk to it altar Mm -hmm. with a, usually a, a figurine of her in some way. And The second biggest way is through, like, votive candles. Votive candles. Yes. So, like, candles with intention. I see. They have different symbolism. Yeah, like, I mean, those are huge in Catholicism and across many different creeds, but... Yeah. So is this kind of like one of those melange beliefs that has roots in Catholicism due to colonizers and occupations in the New World? Oh, 100%. Then got spliced and mixed with pre-existing spiritual beliefs into something wholly new. Kind of like what happened with like hoodoo and voodoo mm-hmm. and taking African, uh, West African spiritual practices and beliefs and then running that through the horrible sieve of Catholicism. Interestingly, a lot of the devotees of La Santa Muerte also consider themselves to be really good Catholics. And they are looking to her to supplement their faith. They believe in the one true God and stuff outside of La Santa Muerte. Like, La Santa Muerte is not a god or goddess Mm -hmm. in herself. Usually it's a saint they ask for guidance that they're not getting help from other saints. My thing that comes up most often when I was reading about this, which I should say the two books that I'm using. The first one is La Santa Morte, Unearthing the Magic and Mysticism of Death by Tomas Prower. Not sure. <laughs> I don't know how to say his last name. <laughs> and then the other one is Santa Morte, The History and Rituals of the Mexican Folk Saint by Renata Lopez. Okay. And they both kind of cross over a lot, so a lot of what I'm saying is from either situation. But I wanted to go off what you just said about the colonization thing. By all means. Spain came to Mexico. They sure did. In the 1500s and just fucked everything up. Mm -hmm. Just all of the Aztec religion and stuff that was there before, because mainly the Aztec empire is up there in in Mexico. And then, you know. As well as the Mayan. Mayans over closer towards the The Yucatan. Yucatan, yeah. So this is like the central Mexico. Modern Mexico. Up there. Yeah. Yeah. In this area, they already had a death god and goddess. And they already celebrated... And this is the Aztecs speaking. The Aztecs. They also already celebrated a thing, which is led to the creation of Dia de los Muertos, which they merged with the, like, the Catholic thing, All Souls Day. Is thing re- referring to a festival or a ceremony? Yeah. Okay. So Dia de los Muertos is... The ceremony where you basically... You honor your ancestors. You honor your ancestors and you welcome them into the world of the living for a day or so. It's kind of a crossing over of that liminal space. There's an opening to the world of the dead. creation of a liminal space. 
And apparently there is also a thing where a little bit earlier you do a thing for children and they have a bunch of candy because the kids are always really excited to get the candy first, so they run ahead of the adults. Yeah, and you get them bloated up on sugar earlier so they pass out their sugar high. I'm talking about dead children, though. Oh, oh, yeah. Dead children do love sweets. It's cute and sad, but you bring, you know, offerings for your ancestors, and you have a ofrenda that Mm -hmm. has all the photos, and marigolds are really popular, candles, food. Candy skulls. Candied skulls, sugar skulls, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So that was a blending of an Aztec holiday and Catholicism. Spain was really smart in the sense that they were trying to indoctrinate the local peoples with their beliefs in a way that was more accessible to them by basing it on pre-existing ceremonies. Yes, exactly. Wow, that was really well said. Good job, Chuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a divide and conquer thing. It's it's a systematic and a really pernicious way of treating pre-existing uh, belief structures and uh, traditions. Because you're, you're hooking them in. It's how you hook someone into then eradicating their... It's, it's, you're, open, you're letting them almost have the autonomy and choice to like enter into your culture. For you to then destroy it. It's like a vampire kind of thing. You're asking them, you're, you need to be let in, and then once you're in, you just kill everyone there. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I don't think they asked to be let in. I think they no, just No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about mentally in this. They didn't ask for any. So anyway, for the first, like, 200 years-ish. It's cool how I made a really well-stated and eloquent point and then immediately undercut it with whatever the fuck that was. For the first, like, 200 years-ish... The Aztec religion of colonization of colonization, fifteen hundreds to seventeen hundreds ish. The Aztec religion and all indigenous religions were kind of hidden, or ritually destroyed, or both. Seventeen hundreds ish, there started to be evidence about the beginning following of the Lady of Death, or you know, the Santa Morete, but it was really difficult to find like actual followers of her because you know underground that sort of thing so they started to become rumblings of a following of a santa muerte mm-hmm. in the 18th century yes in the 1900s that's when she really started shooting off and people were like okay this is a thing what does that mean she became more popular in the sense that people were able to document it and it, it became more of an, a thing. Like a wider following or more outwardly worshipped? Yes. Okay. Both of those. Shot off. <laughs> yeah. So in Aztec mythology, the goddess of the underworld of Mictlan was here, I'm going to try, Miteca Huato. Miteca Huato. Miteca Huato. Goddess of death, had a husband, Lord of Death, whatever. They ruled over Mictlan, which is the realm of the deceased. So basically, she provides the final torturous test in the ninth realm of the underworld. You have to go through nine levels of torturous stuff once you die. And then. Is this a, a judgment or a punishment, or is this something that happens to all? It's a thing that happens structure? to everyone. You get tortured at nine varying degrees of yeah. intensity? That sucks. Torturous test. All right. I mean, that could honestly just be math for me, but... There was the world divided into heavens, the earth, the underworld Mictlan, which were further divided into more layers. Upon death, the afterlife destination was dependent on one's cause of death, but in general, there were three main afterlife locales. If a person experienced a hero's death in battle as a sacrifice or while giving birth, which is awesome that that's included. Their soul would transform into a hummingbird and accompany um, a goddess that I'm not going to try to pronounce, and the sun. If a person had experienced a water-related death, such as drowning, waterborne diseases, lightning from a rainstorm, etc., their soul would enter... Lightning got thrown in there? Lightning from a rainstorm? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that happens... 
Cause oh yeah, no, I'm I'm certain, but well, one, how much frequency has to make that like a part of the parameters of getting into the second level, and two, you'd think that was a, be it's an element other than water, most notably. That's a lightning attack. We can all agree on that, right? Yeah, but it comes in rainstorms. True. Their soul would enter a verdant paradise known as uh, Tlacan. Yeah. And if a person experienced a natural death, which is most people, so their is that soul to would say go to Meeksland. Those other ones weren't natural? Waterborne diseases isn't a natural death? Well, natural in the sense that it's not those two things. Okay. Yes. So, everyone went to the same place. Yeah? The only action that determined your afterlife was the cause of your death, and nothing you did in your life, except for maybe die heroically. Alright, so a lot way. like Catholicism in that way, that if you just at the end say, I believe in Jesus, and ask for forgiveness, you're good to go. No, in Catholicism, you could go to hell for being a terrible person. Yeah, you're but judged it's not, it's at, at the, the gates. Yeah, and but then, at the very end of your life, you can... Just like pull a Jeffrey Dahmer and get into heaven. I mean, they say that. Yeah, but they nobody sure do. really knows. But they also kind of no say one that. Knows. They also kind of say that you can't. And there's also yeah, they like say that, that middle ground. They want you to be a good. They want you to be an ardent Catholic your whole life. But they also bake it in so that you can just, if, as long as you're Catholic at the end, that's all that matters to them. Well, there is also the middle ground of purgatory, which you could go through purgatory for an indefinite amount of time, and that makes you then worthy of yeah. getting yeah. into yeah. heaven so after a, you do uh, some trials uh, and yeah, tests, which is actually loopholes. similar to this underworld thing. Nine progressive levels in the Aztec underworld, Mictlan. And Mictlan was the last level. That's where everybody wanted to be. It's the peaceful time. Getting there meant enduring a, a four-year afterlife journey of traveling through the eight other levels of the underworld where various forms of pain and torture awaited. After it's a arriving, four-year program. It's college. Yes. The soul would finally be allowed to rest in peace and remain in a pleasant underworld. One of the strongest connections of Aztec philosophy of death and the Santa Muerte Mystery School of philosophy of death is the concept that life is dependent upon death. Such was the case of Aztec society's famous obsession with sacrifice in particular human sacrifice yeah i mean there's a lot you see that repeated cross cultures across time life can't exist without death and the other way around life comes from death. look it's just like you know fungi yeah so it says this rot is, a... is as much part of the cycle of birth as anything we were talking about this yesterday of elden ring Everything under Nokram, the eternal city, is but rot. So this quote is interesting. It says, In Aztec mythology, death is the forebearer and the prerequisite of life, not the other way around. So we don't die because we live, we live because we die. <clears throat> we come from death. Which is super interesting. They just, they knew about the explosions of stars, the promulgation of stardust, galaxy, and cosmos. Itekawato. Cared for the bones of the deceased. She gives you the final test, and she's depicted as a skeletal figure with an unhinged jawbone and, like, saggy breast. Kick ass. And so, her in the Witcher. Yes, so this is kind of like a, a precursor goddess that could be some origin of La Santa Morte back in the day that people... Hold iconography from yes. to match their new yeah. form of worship. Also... deity. In Argentina, there's the San La Muerte, so the saint, male version, folk saint of northeast Argentina, who translates to Saint Death. Mm. He is the deity closest in appearance to La Santa Muerte and is portrayed as a grim reaper figure with a bony skeletal body, wearing a cloak, and holding a scythe and a globe of the world, which also La Santa Muerte has. Those mm. are two of her. The biggest variance is that his cloak tends to not be cinched, as in no waist. Like a, he just lets it open and he hangs down. Yeah, essentially, it's more revealing. Yeah, plastic male energy right there. And he's a deity of prisoners, gambling, protection, and luck. Fuck yeah! So most people say he is a mix of the native spiritualism of the Guarani peoples of Argentina, Paraguay, and Brazil, and the Catholicism of the Jesuit missionaries of the region. Mm. And he could be a real saint because his most Devout believers say he was once a living Argentine who performed a miracle while dying and spiritually lives on. 
as this person. However, cult following, Catholic Church also says infernal, cult following, satanic, etc., which they all say about these non-saints. I'm sure having the Jesuit origin also doesn't help their legitimacy in the eyes of the Catholic Church. The Jesuits are tend to be the most liberal Catholics. Maybe now, but back then they were the most hardcore radicalized ones. They were literal warrior monks. Oh. They were violent and uh, Well, definitely now. This is what I was referring to. (laughs) Yes. No, they were the ones that, was what I was talking about earlier, their their whole thing was to get indoctrinated with the local peoples, earn their trust in order to learn more about their cultures and their belief systems, and then weaponize those cultures and belief systems in order to either turn them inside out morph them into something new that incorporates Catholicism or just to get a better understanding of their their beliefs and cultures in order to more uh, thoroughly eradicate it. Jesuits. Jeez. Okay. Never mind. I think I said earlier that the Dia de los Muertos relates to La Santa Muerte in the sense that like, but what I meant was like it relates to her and then La Santa Muerte through the Aztecian goddess of death because the Aztec goddess had that day where she presided over the bones or whatever. And that was her day around then, her festival. That's her day to just be like, yeah. that's her Yasqueen day? Yeah, during the Aztec civilization in the center. The modern concept and image of La Santa Muerte was not written down until the 18th century, so 1700s, as I said. Well, it's a clandestine faith, so it's sort of like orally and hidden and passed down in the shadows that sort of thing so there's a lot of diversity in the way to practice and worship a lot of these types of these spliced kind of belief systems that came out of colonization tend to have those qualities of being kind of familial in nature and varying widely as they're passed down via communities and sometimes with down to as specifically as certain families mm-hmm. mode of practice. I mean, voodoo and voodoo have a lot of that. It's, it changes radically town to town, person to person. It's hard to get a concrete like idea of what the religion actually, how it's structured or how it functions because mm-hmm. it's a very personal. A lot of people come to La Santa Morte in a state of desperation because. Oh, like Scientology. Well, no, nothing like Scientology. Scientology is all about judgment and money. No, I'm just making You can be broke as shit and a terrible person. I'm just making a joke about level of desperation that one would need to be in to just join Scientology. I feel like you're a pretty broken, wayward soul at that point. Okay, well, that's a cult. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is sort of a cult following, but it, it branches off of a but it's a better version. more traditional religion. Yeah, exactly. I it, it has more historical basis and not created by a sci- sci-fi writer just trying to make money. I mean, technically, it's branching off of two religions because there's the Aztec civilization religion and the Catholic one. Yeah. So it's kind of like a merging of those two at the very least. Yeah. Public devotion to this saint began either in Mexico City in the 1940s or in the Mexican state of Hidalgo in the 1960s. Really? In both cases, the devotees were largely the urban working poor and those on the fringes of Mexican society. Small groups, group mass, group prayers, group spells, for the protection. It's also like a... And miracles. A commoner's kind of devotion. It's something practiced by the labor class. Yes. 100%. 100%. And it started in poverty-stricken areas. So people that were have to turn to things like, you know, sometimes have fallen on hard times, have to steal or, you know, engage in sex work to make ends meet. Neither of those things are good for the Catholic faith. And if especially if you're... That's the big uh, caveat there. There's Sex work is great. But not the eyes. <laughs> right. So for the Catholic faith, if you're like a good Catholic, like you'll feel some moral quandary about this sort of thing, even if you don't really have a choice. So 
then you can't pray to the saints, right? Because then you have a moral lack of standing, I suppose. Really? I didn't realize that you felt like an interpersonal confliction with like just the act of prayer if you're not living your life as you should be, quote-unquote, from the Catholic perspective. I mean, you can pray, but then they can say, you know... That prayer ain't working? It's not going to work as well because your soul is not holy or whatever. (laughs) So, whatever. It also became a patron saint for people who live in sort of constant danger. So, people that worked at night, all of the people that I just mentioned, and also even people that are trying to, like, you know, catch them, policemen, security guards, whatever. Also, dog the bounty hunter. Bartenders, taxi drivers, mariachi band members, all are kind of in a dangerous nighttime lifestyle. Is there something to be said about, like, keep your friends close and your enemies closer in that you want to have the close proximity of death to you if you work in death, in precarious or dangerous physically or mentally occupations wherein like death is a more common like ride along so therefore if you're patronizing death as your deity you're more likely to gain gain her favor and have her pass over you you can't really gain her favor no yeah because she doesn't she sees us all equally right you can ask her for help and she'll most likely help you if you are doing it in the sense that you're working with her and you treat her with respect. And so and it's, it, it's coming from a place of genuine intent and like need, I guess. So because she's like the great equalizer, there's also no sense of like placating her either. It's not like since I am so afeard of death, I have to be a good devotee in order to stave off her advances. Because if she's just the equalizer, then she wouldn't care about like like your kind of as i said patronage or yeah she doesn't need that much patronage but she likes it you know it's like you're respecting someone yeah that sort of thing so but it's not like a you need so much in order to get something out of her that's why a lot of people possibly start the faith really suddenly because you have nowhere else to turn to you find this saint that doesn't care about your standing your social standing your occupation yeah your you know your race your creed your job you know whatever problems you're going through she just doesn't mind and it still accepts you that sort of thing so that's really the um the censure there it wasn't until the mid-1990s that it became safe to be a public devotee of la santa morita because before that it's still very underground you know, people would have little shrines or they have little groups, but it's all hidden. Now, what do you mean by safe? As Was in there like, persecution? Yes. So the Catholic Church would, you know, condemn all worship of this saint because it's not a real saint. And they call them devil worshippers, all of that stuff. And then also the police or the government would go through and like destroy shrines and such because it's like a associated with the criminal sort of class or poor working class or that sort of thing. Interesting. In Mexico's economic crisis of 1994, as a result of signing NAFTA, increased the the number of poor, destitute, and people being marginalized. The free market policy has created a lot of financial inequity. Basically, it gained, like, a huge following. Um, However, in 1998... As a result of the economic recession? Yes. In 98... This is where a lot of bad press and sort of like awareness of La Santa Morita came out as evil in the minds of middle class and upper class in Mexico and also like worldwide. Is this kind of like their satanic panic with it? Yes. Interesting. Here we go. Her image and what little was known about her filled the front pages of sensationalist newspapers. Yep. And the media took liberties and invented sensational rumors to help sell the papers. Devil worshiping cults, probably the same old shit we have here in U.S. Child abuse and ritual sacrifice, horrible shit like that. The, just immediately jumping to yeah, it's the Marilyn Manson fans' religion. Well, the reason was the cause for all this publicity was the arrest of Mexican kidnapper and murderer Daniel 
Uh, Adolfo Constanza? No. Okay. Daniel Arizmendi Lopez, known as the Ear Chopper or El Mocha Oreja. Yeah. Mocha Oreja? Yeah, the Ear Chopper. Yeah, that would be. And the discovery of his personal shrine to the Santa Morete. Interesting. So that's fairly similar to Adolfo Constanza. And this sort of became a recurring theme. So a lot of like really famous murderers that they found also like had shrines to the Santa Morete. And so that's not great. No. <laughs> because it was like, you know, she didn't it care if you were Yeah. I mean she didn't care if you were assassin, she didn't care if you were a murderer, she didn't care about any of those things. By virtue of the people that tend to be practitioners of the faith working within like dangerous environments, those dangerous environments are going to attract sketchy, shitty people. Mm -hmm. So those shitty people are going to have a greater, like they're going to be more exposed to Santa Muerte Mm -hmm. than most other folks in the world in other walks of life would be. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of like Cretans that are drawn to this gothy, very aesthetically interesting and kick-ass deity and practice, I'd say. Yeah. Did you come across Adolfo Constanzo in this research? No. I don't think so. Interesting. Yeah, he's the... It's the worst shit ever. So at one point, the mystery cult of La Santa Morte, sorry, mystery school. Okay, the secret school, like teachings of it? Yeah. Like the inner workings? Uh, got recognized by the Mexican government during its first, like, liberal president of a different, what do you call it, party? Party, yeah. In Mexico? Political orientation? Yeah. Affiliation? They got that. And then... Like, um, uh, national recognition? They did. However, so what is like a uh, a sect of Catholicism or its own unique religion? Its own thing. So really? Iglesia Santa Catolica Apostolical Tradicional Mex USA. So ISCAT Mex USA became officially recognized church and legally protected religious faith in Mexico. Yeah. However, it then got taken away ah. because the Catholic Church was like, heck no, nah. No, no, no. Is that their direct quote? Heck no. Nuh-uh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. They got it in 2003. It was revoked by the Mexican government in 2005. So. Mm, Easy come, easy go. Easy come, easy go. (laughs) Any hoozles. That was just one one little sect of it. So then the ISCAT just kept going on its own thing. And then that's only one small little thing of all of the devotees of La Santa Borte. And, you know, not the real truth or anything like that. It was just one that tried to be official, essentially. I see. So one that tried to break away to become like, I'm going to get out of my small town religious. I'm going to become a pop star of this religious group. (laughs) Yes, I suppose so. Um, And wanted to go mainstream. Yeah. But the rest of of its Santa Morte friends were like, we're fine being indie. Yeah. It's a thing. And the Catholic Church basically said... Something the, shitty? Well, the devotion get... to the Santa Morte was satanic, is what they said. Just straight up, no. Saint, evil, bad, blah. Not Catholic. And that still came with the caveat that most believers of La Santa Morte still consider themselves to be good Catholics. And Oh yeah, so that must be conflicting for like the really pious among them that wish to be Los dos, okay, no los dos, of Catholic and followers of Santa Muerte when you get that official condemnation from the church. Yeah, it's weird. Flash forward. But you're wondering how we got here. <laughs> In 2006, so after it's revoked, Calderon assumed the Mexican presidency. He was a member of the conservative PAN, which stands for something. What does it stand for? Partido Acción Nacional. Nacional. Yes. <laughs> Knew the end was wow, nacional. Wow, <laughs> There we go. 
Partido Alto Nacional? I don't know. Partido Acción Nacional. Calderon, super conservative. So, That's always a good start. So what's the next good thing? What's the good thing he did? In an attempt to deal with the nation's notorious drug cartels and trafficking problems, Calderon officially declared war on both of those things. Very Reagan-y. That's going to go well, I'm sure. He militarized the country and utilized the National Army to go on the offensive against the cartels. Mm-hmm. That only made the cartels more hostile, violent, and proactive. Well, they're all gone now, right? Effectively making the country a war zone. Oh. Therefore, there became a correlation rise of Los Antimorto followers. So, because of more despair and desperation? Yes. Devotion especially increased among the cartel members and drug traffickers, with more pressure being placed on them and their profession becoming even more deadly than it already was. I mean, not to be anything here, but like, there's something like kind of sci-fi-esque about, you know, Santa Muerte gaining her power via death and despair. And the more death and despair that falls these communities, the stronger she grows. Well, she doesn't need more death to be more powerful. Death oh, is know. coming for us at I'm, any point. She's of patient. Course. She doesn't care. No, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm putting my own thing on it right now, but imagining her as like a supervillain. It's like, yes, of course, M- militarize the country, go to war, all Watch me go strong. No. I know. She has no... It's all good. Anywho. They built lots of shrines and altars to La Santa Muerte throughout Mexico and along the U.S.-Mexican border. So once all this was discovered, Lou, the bloodshed and such in the the media, then, of course, it became a media thing also in the United States and wherever that, like, oh, oh sure. the Santa Marte is associated with drug cartels and therefore is bad. Yeah, I'm sure the evangel- evangelicals had some choice things to say about this. The news media in the U.S. Um, capitalized on the raw image of her and used it as a symbol of Mexico's drug war and border violence. It also didn't help that most of these altars on the border contained spells, prayers, and petitions for the death of all those who oppose the cartels and traffickers, especially police. Well, that's fun. So this was also tinged with elements of black magic and supernatural intentions yeah. to do harm, which and is not really a thing that most people do. Um, within Santa Marta? Yeah. So this is like a thing, like black magic, often sometimes used with like black candles and black stuff. Like you can Wait, do it. Wait, in this context, it's literally just relating to the color of the materials used? Yes, the color of candle. Oh, wow. Literally black. Okay. But you can use black candles for good things too it's just that like um, wax play with your partner (laughs) it's just that this was being used in that way things escalated pretty dramatically in 2009 when calderon ordered the army to go to the border and destroy all those shrines and anything santa muerte related even though not all of them were drug related no of course not often most of them were created for offerings for safe passage into the u.s because of course it's horrible and it's an extremely perilous and dangerous endeavor right so you're either going on like life-threatening hidden journeys like over fences and you know in deserts through, and like incredibly through rivers. inhospitable deserts yeah yeah all of these horrible things well, or you're being are run down by you. the police yeah. yeah or you're being attacked by robot dogs now yeah robot dogs or are things. roped down by texas rangers all of these horrible things that could happen to you or being pursued by fucking cartel members as well on your way all of the things and traffickers so of course you would want your patron saint to protect you so that's unfortunate so just her proximity to this kind of illegal and or nefarious activity was then taken as by the media and extrapolated into like she is inherently evil and the followers of her are inherently evil devil worshipping criminals just because yeah. she would pop up and, you know, not the best. Yeah, it's... Interestingly, though, the police and army also were increasingly devoted to La Santa Morte because of the life-threatening danger yeah, they were on the in. other side. So they used it as a symbolic patch on their uniforms for decorative and amulet-like purposes. Yeah. And also Mexican prison guards also tend to be highly devout to La Santa Morte. That's all the recent history of, like, why people probably have an awkward, pretty 
grim picture of her, even though she has all these good things. So let's talk about some good things about her and some cool stuff about the vote of candles because it's color symbolism, and I love colors and symbolism. So here we go. The world's most famous shrine to her actively promotes peace and communal unity. So this is in the infamously dangerous neighborhood in Mexico City known as Tepito. The public shrine to the Santa Morte is on display, welcoming all devotees. The caregiver of its shrine is called the Madrina of the Santa Morte due to her bold devotion and disregard of any what anyone thinks. And that means the mother. Yes. Like patron Godmother. Yeah. On All Saints Day 2001, uh, Enriquita Romero, also known as Doña Queta, proudly displayed her medium-sized statue of La Santa Morte outside her home in plain view of the public, becoming the first person in the megalopolis of Mexico City to do so. So she's been a devotee for most of her life, passed her face on to her children. Once again, that familial clandestine element. She supplemented her family's income as a street vendor selling quesadillas, and through her open door, customers were able to see the large statue. Rather than taking their business elsewhere, customers began coming in droves and spread the word around town about the quesadillas vendor's large statue of the Santa Muerte. Awesome. So they came to pay tribute to the statue, and Get then she moved it outside meat. in public view, so anyone can see. You can go and still see it in Tepito, even though it's like super informal, and there's sort of a, still a completely unorganized kind of situation going on with that faith. But you can, you know, do a pilgrimage like you would do for Catholicism, and go see it, and donate. Come... Give little gifts. And another thing that's interesting about La Santa Marte is that she doesn't care what kind of gifts that you give her. So, like... Yeah, we briefly were touching on this earlier when I was asking, like, is it a matter of patronage? You're saying she doesn't care. Well, like, you could give her alcohol or cigarettes in the same way that you could give, like, holy things that you would for, like, a Catholic saint. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like anything that's meaningful to you, you can give to her, and it has the same intent. Here's my views pod. (laughs) That would be kind of silly, but... I mean, cigarettes are kind of romantic. I don't know about fused pods. Here is um, my vape refill. There is also a group rosary at the first day of every month, which rosary is a Catholic thing. You yeah. Know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like prayer beads in other religions. Same mm-hmm. kind of thing. Count with them, essentially. And prayer, all that stuff. On All Saints Day, the there's like a huge celebration in Tepito in front of her house, and there, an average of 5,000 people come in. Is All Saints Day, is that Halloween and Samhain? November 1st. Ah. So the day after. Most people come to her in times of dire necessity, when they need a miracle, kind of ASAP, and you don't really need to know all the history that we just went over, because you don't need to know that history in order to co-create magic with La Santa Morte and ask her for a miracle. What kind of miracles does she tend to perform, or is she said to be able to Pretty much everything. Any examples? Like, is there any, are there any instances that believers tend to uh, cite as, like, proof of her power? I don't know. Yeah, there's, I haven't seen one in here. But, of course, I'm sure everybody knows a, a story mm-hmm. about it. So, let's move into... To close this out, let's move into like the symbols that she has and the votive candles, color votive candles of symbolism. So, all symbolism, which is all interesting. This is stuff about her that's usually on her statue and all of her symbols that are related to her. So, always, always, always depicted as a skeleton. Okay. It symbolizes equality. Huh. You know. And just. We all have a skeleton. <laughs> There's also the cloak. It can vary if you're doing different kinds of spells, but in general, never pastels, usually black or white. All right. And this is the cloak for her appearance in on altars and stuff, not for uh, believers or practitioners, yes? Yeah, her appearance. Just a cloak, you cinch it tight, that sort of thing. Okay. Magic protection and safety often emphasizes her cloak during spell work due to its symbolism of invisibility, traveling incognito. Mm. Halo, the divinity of her as a saint. They are usually using the flat disc rather than the golden ring halo sort of thing. You know, the flat golden mm, disc, sort yeah. of like Our Lady of Guadalupe, that sort of thing. Hourglass. You got an hourglass figure? No, hourglass isn't a real one. It oh, symbols... so she doesn't have rock and thighs and a teeny tiny little waist. <laughs> no, she's just a skeleton. 
Well, you could have a skeleton. I mean, technically, I'm depicted in every photo as a skeleton. Oh, yeah. But you just can't. I mean, so are you. So she don't got flesh hiding them bones. Yeah, she doesn't have flesh. So the hourglass represents her dominion over time. The exact number of grains of sand can vary and is never fully known, which reflects the varying number of years each of us has before we die. That's also just a really uh, considerate thing to do for artists when you're creating the lore of her. To give an exact number of grains of sand for every time you need to depict this, this deity, that would suck. It would suck. In order, in order to be a true-to-life depiction, you better have 1,672 <laughs> grains of sand in there. Otherwise, it's heretical. My goodness. It's also near symmetry. The hourglass symbolizes reincarnation, rebirth, and new beginnings. Never used just once. When all the sand has fallen to the bottom, it is turned upside down, and the cycle begins anew. Same as death is not a finite ending, but the beginning of something. Hmm. That's awesome. There is the lamp, which, you know, it's always, it's usually like, like the genie lamp, like the super old mm-hmm. kind of one. Like an incense burner? Yeah. Always with a lit flame. Cross-cultural symbol for guidance. Yeah. You know, seeking a light through dark places, handhold lanterns. Lucifer. All the, that stuff. The light bringer. Yeah. A guide through the unknown. Also the owl. And the owl is really interesting. There's sort Knowledge. of... A threefold thing. There's a cross-cultural recognition as of wisdom. Yeah. I mean, seeing the big picture past all illusions. Yeah. Practical, academic knowledge, etc. Hatred of mice. Yes. Symbol of the night, having excellent nocturnal vision and being able to thrive in darkness. I was going to joke about that one, about good sight. Yes, but exactly. Literally, okay. Being able to thrive in darkness, that's also fun. Enjoying hiding in uh, chimneys. Yes. Also, the owl is the omen of death in Mexican folklore, which is super interesting. According to legend, hearing the cry of an owl is a sign that someone is about to die. Fuck. The animal was also a familiar of Mixtecahuatl. Also, owls are associated with the Mayan death gods that we sort of alluded to in the Mayan hero twins Mm -hmm. in season one. That was more of a uh, mosquito. So owls are... Often related to death, death. in Latin in, America times, yeah. Central, which is cool. Central Northern. Yeah. Did you say Africa or? I said Latin America. Latin America. Also scales. However, the scales. Isn't the timekeeping device and not what's found on fun, fun reptile folks? Uh, not timekeeping either. A weighing device. Ah. You know, scales as you yeah, balance yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. But however, hers are always empty and. Yeah, because lack of judgment. A lack of judgment. Yes, exactly. At equal balance, void of any items being ways, symbolizing balance. Yes. The scythe, you know. That's classic. Basically, the scythe relates to the cosmic life. Huh? What? The reaping of the the wheat of life. Yeah, so you're harvesting crops. You cut the thread of life. Yeah. Also, harvested crops are not simply discarded, but used to create food. So that's the thing. Oh, once again, death bringing life and life bringing death. And the reciprocity thing. You know, you reap what you sow. Yeah. And she's a giver and a taker. You reap with the scythe. Indeed. <laughs> you know? And lastly, the world holding the world. So her dominion over all life. That's a fuckload of symbols. I would a like lot of say. symbols. So that's a very busy tarot card. Oh, yeah. She's got going on. Yeah. And interestingly, the tarot card of death also has to do with not, not actually death. But usually about a sudden change, a new beginning, and also the sort of like indifference of death. It comes for us all. It usually depicts a, in the version that I was basing when I did an an art piece of the Death Tarot, it was really hitting home that there's supposed to be a dead nobleman, a dead old man, and a dead child in it. Mm -hmm. Just showing the echo, like it comes for the king, the elderly, like, oh, yeah, it was like an elderly, like, clergyman or something yeah i think you're right it is a clergyman in the original also white rose hmm. yeah the white rose i can't remember what it symbolizes yeah, either. something it's not probably seal it's probably yeah. like the purity of death or something oh it's a purity holiness of so the synchronicity of colors explains everything that of a certain color that has the same or similar magic properties so it's saying that like Natural colors 
they are imbued with magical properties. Yeah, because they relate to so many things of that color. Yeah, the spectrum, the energy of a specific color. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's also cross-cultural. This also applies to black and white. So black is the result of the absence of color due to the absorption of all light. Yeah, so it has a mix of all energies focusing inward. Whereas white is the opposite. It is reflecting all colors back. Mm-hmm. Therefore, is a thing for outward stuff. <laughs> outward things. That's some secret school rhetoric right there. <laughs> La Santa Muerte has seven main colors. Black, white, red, main three. Gold, green, blue, and purple. Yellow, red. Sometimes brown <laughs> is included. It's like, but it's, it's like less interesting. It's like the vowels of colors. Yeah, and A E Y O and U, and sometimes brown. There's also a number of other colors and shades that have popularity within the community, such as copper, silver, orange, amber, yellow, and bone. Bone is a color. Yeah, like bone yeah, white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That o- sort of off thing. white. Yeah, off-white. There's also, like, a rainbow-colored one, which has, like, the seven main colors, and that's focusing, like, all of these specific things at one time in sort of a general, like, catch-all kind of thing. Rainbow flag is also the official flag of the Incan people. That's interesting. Um, Obviously, La Santa Muerte also has a really high LGBTQ queer following, especially in Mexico, because if you're like a traditional Catholic, you're supposed to feel bad about the fact that you're gay and never act on it ever. Oh, really? Because it's like a sin. Yeah. Do you Uh, have any experience with that? No, I would have never internalized that my whole life ever. That's not a thing that would have come up in Catholic school or or catechism. Catechism sounds so like why does it have to relate to something that's so lame and stupid i actually had a really good time in catechism because it was my mom's friend that was doing it and she was dope and all we did was color and sing songs it was really fun really cool songs or was it just like creed well you know it's like fun songs like still jesusy songs but they were catchy yeah creed she's cool anyway and my mom didn't trust any of the other priests because of the whole like molestation thing Yeah, yeah that whole thing when I needed one more year to do my communion like my grandmother wanted, then she just had me repeat with the same teacher. <laughs> it's really funny. Anyway, back to the colors. Her, each of her aspects is usually depicted by the color of her cloak when doing the thing. Either So you could do it either with the cloak of the doing statue. The, what is doing the thing? Like casting a spell. Rituals and spell work. <laughs> it's the fourth time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> casting a spell. Doing a thing. That's what I mean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, you could do it with a votive candle. A thing. There we go. A spell. Yeah. A thing. So, black. Default color. Usually used Starting in protection build. magic and in hexes. Ooh. It is widely associated with death and witchcraft. This is where that, I get that song that says all my hexes are south of Texas. <laughs> Used in protection magic where the object is not to project energy rather than absorb it. It's really to intuitively foresee negative energy and take away its harmful effects. So absorbing nasty things and neutralizing it. It's Um, like a shit sponge of a candle. Or to become invisible to harmful energy and avoid it altogether. Um, It could also be used in hexes and harmful magic to soften and weaken the intended target and cause them some sort of loss. White, the other default color. It's unique in that it's not relegated to a single domain of magic and can be used in any and all spell work. So it's a go-to. If you don't know what you're going to do, use white, because it covers all that shit. It's good. (laughs) So when we purify something using white's the only color used for purification rituals, we expel and push all toxins and negative energies away. Mm. The other of the big three, red. Red has become the most popular alternative color for... It's hot right now. Yes. Everybody's talking about red. It's predominantly involved in sex magic, both to impassion (gasps) a lover and to keep him or her chaste. My God, that's why the Red Hot Chili Peppers called it blood sugar sex magic, because they're red. Yeah, maybe, I suppose. No, I definitely don't think Anthony Kiedis thought that through that deeply. You know, it comes with basic instincts, hunger, thirst, sex drive, survival, blood, you know, aggressiveness, brightness. You hungry? You thirsty? You horny? What do you need? Yeah. (laughs) I got red for you, though. While deep reds are best for sex magic, lighter shades of red, like pink, can be used for dating and romance. Stuff like that. 
pink. Lessening it's red light. the intensity, right? So it's, it's cute. In esoteric stores that sell Santa Morte merchandise, the paraphernalia of her red aspect is often the highest seller of all seven main colors. Yeah, sex magic. Sex magic. Sex sells, so let's sell some sex candles. Gold is a prominent color for money magic. Yeah. Devotee entrepreneurs often have a gold cloak Santa Morte figurine hidden or in public view as a charm for prosperity. I keep mine behind the kitty litter. It symbolizes abundance. Has to do with, you know, like wheat, mm. bread, mm-hmm. wealth, gold, yeah, sun, all that stuff. Radiance. It's, yeah. Gold's a pretty straightforward on the nose It's pretty one. straightforward. Yeah, I don't think you need to take too much time on gold. Great. Green. Used in legal and courtroom magic. It's lawyer magic? In the subconscious, green is associated with nature, which is associated with the natural order of things or natural truth. Yeah. Ideally, the justice system is supposed to get the truth of the matter. However, that doesn't often work. Jesus so then <laughs> we're going to ask Santa Muerte to lead us toward helping us out in the legal system. Also, now I just desperately want to see a leprechaun in a courtroom. Ironically, those who know that they are truly guilty tend not to use this green aspect, instead preferring black to evade and become invisible to punishment. Yeah. Which is interesting. Well, um, it's just using, you're working within the confines of this magic structure. You gotta, <laughs> you know, take advantage of the tools you're given. Right. That's it's awesome. Also used for self-love, greatest love of all, you know, love thyself. Yeah. To love others, that sort of thing. Also used in healing magic, specifically autoimmune conditions such as HIV and AIDS, which is a rampant issue in the queer community, which, of course, is a high devotee population for the Santa Morte. Which, of course. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah, well, queer people are always on the fringes of society, so is the Santa Morte. Mm. No, Except, yeah, it's, an accepting it saint in the Catholic faith makes total sense. Desperate. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Blue, primarily wisdom magic. So students, teachers, knowledge, mental clarity, all that stuff. Rhea Lucaria. The last one is purple, primarily used in healing magic and transformational magic. Hmm. While technically every color has its own association with healing, purple is the universal color for all healing, whether the ailment is physical, psychological, or spiritual. In most magical systems, apparently there's a common belief that all diseases are essentially psychosomatic. Meh. I feel like you can say that there's a psycho element, a psychological element to every disease, and that believing that you're being cured or that you can be cured will help your treatment in the same way that, like, you know, like placebos work. That's how placebos work. Mm -hmm. You think you're being treated and then your body gets better. Yeah, the expectation of treatment is guiding your physical experience. Interestingly, uh, purple plants often have similar effects on the human body, such as lavender, um, which, you know, helpful for sleep and relaxation and things like that. Yeah, and every time I've eaten an orchid, I've felt better. The last semi-color is brown. So brown's an in-between color, less utilized and less important than the previous colors, but more utilized and more important than any other alternative or additional color. Good for brown. Most often used in necromancy. So reach out and communicate with the dead. To contact our roots, so you're thinking about growth, you think about trees, you think about dirt. But the middle layer between the, liminal the green space. and the death. Yeah. The bridge between the physical and the spiritual world. Brown, brown bridge. Lastly is the rainbow candle. It's an adaptation from the seven African powers of the Santeria, which is interesting. Yeah, Santeria also a amalgamation of Catholic and African belief. So, usually the order from top to bottom in horizontal stripes, silver, copper, gold, red, blue, green, and purple. Single all-encompassing spell, like I said before, just less focused, broader. Yep, pretty cool. So it's not as a substitute for any one color, but targeting all aspects simultaneously. And that's that. That's all the things I wanted to talk about. There's so much more to say about her, but I thought she's just so interesting. And this is sort of like the intro course of her coolness. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your delicious knowledge with us. It's a pleasure as always. Asleep. This is a bedtime story for Tucker. I am falling asleep, yeah. <laughs>
Thanks for staying up with me and doing it. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing that delicious knowledge, as I just said. I'll say it again. It's so so nice. I'll say it twice. <sighs> Thanks so much for being here with us. If you have tales about La Santa Muerte or anything else you'd love to add about it, you can send them to addstoryteller at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at addstorytellingpodcast. I'd love to hear your hot takes and your questions. Yep. Shoot them our way. You can support Slide our into podcast. our DMs. <laughs> you can support our podcast through subscription if you want, through Anchor. You can follow the website link from Spotify. And we'll see you. Venmo us. <laughs> we'll see you next week. See you then. Bye.